Our work within the cathedral on these walls is now a little more obvious as you come in, is it not? You can see some scaffolding over to your right, and in the back, we're building a, I say we, workers are building a platform for a crane that will come in. What's going on, and the vestry has planned on this for a couple of years now, and it's finally coming to fruition, is the cleaning of these walls from centuries of or for decades of dirt and water and smoke and other kinds of chemicals that get upon them and they're being cleaned in the same way that one gets a facial I've never had a facial but I'm told that they put putty on your face and pull it off and it pulls off all the the stuff and literally the same thing is happening to these walls around us And now they're moving higher because the walls on your left and right have been cleaned. And now they're about to clean the walls around the clerestory windows and the walls around the window and the pipes in the back. So they've got to get higher. So hence comes the crane. So I feel like the state, when I tell you this, when they're doing road repairs, pardon our progress. We're getting much, much closer. And what's thrilling about it is that you can now see that the walls, in fact, are not only cleaner, but actually warmer. And especially in the light, you can see that the walls have a little pink in them, actually. And they much better reflect the color from the windows all around them. It's also a nice time to look up. Probably the glory of this space in terms of color or the clear. They're mesmerizing. They were made by a gentleman at a Boston firm. His name was Connick. He was one of the great stained glass window makers in the world. And he said of our windows, how about this for an image? He said of our windows, they're a playground for the afternoon sun. And indeed they are, and it's a great Sunday to look at one in particular. The first one, actually, on the western wall. This window here on your right is dedicated to the prophets. There are nine of them. Prophets from the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. And the one who has the most prominent position is Isaiah. He's the biggest one. He's the one on top. Robed in red and yellow and gold. And right below his, his feet is this, um, this picture of an enlightened coal. And the enlightened coal below his feet is a reference to that part of the story where an angel comes and takes a coal and places it in Isaiah's mouth in order to purify him and inspire him with his great vision. One of the most amazing things about hearing the scriptures in this place, with these windows, with all this color, is we're invited to realize, invited not just to hear, but to see. That when we hear the scriptures, we see them in color. We imagine them. What an incredible Sunday then to hear these words from the prophet Isaiah where he speaks of God's beloved planting a vineyard and God being so enchanted and intrigued by this vineyard that God comes to the vineyard. And at the vineyard, God expects to see justice 
but instead sees the color of bloodshed. God expects to hear righteousness and the cries of joy, but instead hears the cries of violence and sorrow. We hear lessons like this in a place we're invited to see them. And after the week we've had in this country, we should also see them upon the land in which we live in color. God expected justice, but instead saw violence. God bless our country. We pray especially for Las Vegas. We pray for all who died. God grant them mercy and healing and peace and all the gifts that only God can give. We pray for all who mourn and grieve, who've lost loved ones. Grant them some measure of peace, if not quickly over time. We pray for all who serve and try to make things better in tragic situations like that, especially first responders and police, doctors and nurses, I can't imagine, those who are administrators at hospitals, and all who care in simple, profound ways. God bless all of them. And we pray as we must for the person who did that too. God grant him something. I don't know what, but forgiveness at least and wisdom ultimately. We pray, we pray. I heard Desmond Tutu, that great bishop from South Africa, say once, When you pray, move your feet. In other words, prayer alone, words alone, are just never enough, especially in situations like this. So pray we must, but that's always a beginning. And so, I'm so glad that Bishop Rob O'Neill, the Bishop of Colorado, has released a statement along with a number of other bishops who are united against gun violence. They've been working together for over a decade. Their statement, his statement, is inserted in your insert, in your leaflet. They say a lot of words, as as people often do in these situations, but their words reach a very logical and clear and succinct conclusion, and it is this. They urge lawmakers to take automatic weapons out of the hands of civilians, period. Just if you can do anything, start with that. Just take away automatic weapons. Everyone will be safer, period. Civilians will be safer. First responders will be safer. Police, military. Start there. God, please do something. So, our words lead us or should lead us to advocate for justice and peace among all people as our baptismal covenant calls us to do. And these are not just simply political words, therefore. They're baptismal words. At the heart of our identity as Christians is to advocate for justice, peace, and dignity among all people alone is not enough. So too prayer and even advocacy, as profound, urgent, and compelling as that is, prayer and advocacy are not quite enough either for those of us who 
come to this altar table and say these prayers in this resonant and colorful building. We are also invited in this place to reimagine all of life in light of God's presence. Not just to say words, not just to advocate in words and actions, but to just change how we see everything and everybody in light of God's presence. Last Sunday, I think it was at this service, I can't remember if it was the 9 or the 11.15, I was um, at the altar, the choir was singing a lovely anthem, and everybody was looking this way, the choir was paying attention and singing beautifully, I was at the altar looking that way, and I saw probably what none of you saw, and that was that we had lost an acolyte. He had escaped. He was in a white robe, and he had left the sanctuary, he had left the nave, and somehow was in the balcony. And he was up there. There was not an adult in sight, and He was standing in the balcony. Have you seen it when sometimes light, it doesn't cascade in, it just shoots in and down across the cathedral? Have you seen this? And light was shooting in, and I kid you not, it was shooting into the corner of the balcony, and he was leaning over the balcony. Not an adult in sight. And he was catching the light. I'm catching the light in his hands. I almost forgot to say or sing the Sursum Corda. I almost asked you all before the, the Eucharistic prayer to turn around and see it, but we don't know well, each other well enough yet. I think we come to this space to catch the light. The light, we believe, is transcendent, which means it doesn't come from us, which means we're always catching it or catching up to it or receiving it. So if your words or your actions on behalf of justice and peace, if they ever feel feeble and small and misunderstood and ignored, Don't get too down. And remember the mystery of these lights that surround us, these stained glass windows that surround us every time we enter into this space. The stained glass windows are colorful and beautiful, not because they possess the light, but because the light shines through them.